This episode of Paper Team is brought to you by Roadmap Writer's Jumpstart Writing Competition. The competition is open to both original TV pilots and feature scripts with a panel of 12 industry judges from top companies including Circle of Confusion, Echo Lake Entertainment, Verve, Mosaic, Bronze Studios, and more. To learn more and check out their incredible prize packages, visit RoadmapWriters.com and choose Jumpstart from the Competitions tab. Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to be talking about writing stories for TV in either an episodic or serialized format, as well as an overview of the advantages or disadvantages of both. But before we go into today's episode and today's Paper Team session, we have a little announcement to make. Last week was TV Calling's 10-year anniversary, and to celebrate... I finally, at long last, decided to address one of the most requested features for the site. A lot of readers of TV Calling and listeners of Paper Team have asked for some kind of venue to share advice, ask for help, and trade stories about TV writing and the TV industry. In essence, a place for our community to assemble like the Avengers. And so your prayers have been answered in the form of a Facebook group called the TV Writers Room. The group is private since we want to keep it to active participants, but it is open right now to both our listeners and readers, meaning you. So you can head on to paperteam.co slash group or facebook.com slash groups slash TV Writers Room, one word, to check it out. This will be both a more direct access to us, but really a way for you guys to connect with one another, all in the trenches of the TV writing business. And now, time for our Paper Tease session. And welcome back to our Paper Tease segment, the first one of the month of July. As a reminder, we started our own free competition where listeners can send in teasers of their original TV pilots for feedback and prizes. And today we are covering two teasers, both of which, as usual, you can find in the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 95. And let's get started with the first teaser of the week. All right. This one is called How Grace Got to Run the World by Reeve Siegel and Kayla Crawford, and it is a comedy. So in this one, in the year 2058, we see the first female American president, Grace Glassman, being inaugurated in Washington, D.C. Over this, we hear Grace's voiceover about how it wasn't easy to get here, especially with her family. And we then see quick cuts of her family members in the crowd, a flirty mom, an artsy dad, an overly emotional husband, a gossipy sister, the last of which proceeds to ruin the ceremony with her ineptitude. Grace's VO then kind of ponders how someone like her, raised like she was, got to run the world, and we smash through the title. What do you think of this one, Alex? I actually thought it was a really strong opener with clear characters, clear setup. You really get to know the world. You really get to know sort of what the story is going to be about. My one comment really is that all the characters I thought were well-defined, except ironically for Grace. Yeah, I found the same thing. I thought that you really gave clear identities and personalities to all of your family members, but not the one person who the whole show is about and who's the president of the U.S. I feel like I wanted a little bit more from her and her description. Yeah, and even just visually, there's really not much activity for Grace to do. She's kind of just staring at all the different characters. And if you look at the actual prose of it, there's a lot of Grace sneaks a peek, Grace eyes, Grace turns back, Grace glances, Grace looks at. 
gray spots. It's a lot of kind of the repetitive same idea of her looking at someone, but there's really not much happening on screen visually or with the action over the monologue. Yeah, I think a lot of the time you'll find in comedy that making a character, especially a lead character, active is going to be funnier than just having them react to everything around them. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to that, but I think you can find ways to heighten everything by involving Grace more in that action. Obviously, it's a little difficult at this point because she's being inaugurated, but there's still ways in which you could vary that up a bit. She can definitely play up off of whatever the characters are doing. For example, when her husband drops the Bible or when you know she sees her mother cozying up next to the vice president, whatever that is, I think there's elements within the same context, within that setup that you can emphasize to bring Grace in a more active way. Yeah, but I agree. I think this is a, a strong teaser. One of the main things that stood out for me just as a micro note was there was it was a little confusing to call the character names in the voiceover adult Grace and adult Cameron because we haven't yet established that there's another POV where they're not adults. Now I'm assuming that we're probably going to flash back to her childhood and, and that's maybe where the majority of this is going to take place or cut into between them, but we don't know that yet. Yeah, it's funny. I had the exact same thought where for me, I thought it was really kind of distracting in the since we're not yet introduced to the young or present day, I guess, version of the characters. And you could still name them Grace and Cameron and whoever in that teaser. And in the pros later on, once you've established the two timelines, then specify the distinction. But as it plays out currently, you are wondering, wait, so where's the younger slash present day version of these characters? Yeah, exactly. I think that's a simple fix, but just being aware that we haven't introduced a concept to the audience yet. So it's weird to name them that particular thing. So yeah, what makes this one to read on with this one as opposed to not? I actually really like the premise. I really like the execution besides those minor notes of the character description as well as making Grace more active. I think, to me, that's the biggest takeaway. I'm assuming, just based on the title of it, that Grace is obviously not only the main character, but she's going to be very active, and it's going to be sort of an exploration of how she came to be the president, which to me is just a compelling, fruitful sort of concept. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a great end to a teaser that it kind of showed this mayhem going on and this ridiculousness of the situation, and then summed it up with that whole thing. You know, it really posed that dramatic question to the audience, you know, not just for the teaser, but for the whole episode of the whole show, how did Grace get to run the world? And that's what makes us want to read on and see how exactly that was. And if you have some time, I'd also recommend checking out the WB 2004 TV show Jack and Bobby, which had a somewhat similar premise. All right, let's move on to our second teaser also comedy called Reunion Tour by Paul Springers. And in that teaser, we start on a TV which shows a carvel footage of Sad Candle, an alternative music band from Lollapalooza 1999. And over the footage, Matthews introduces the various musicians of Sad Candle, himself included. It is then revealed that the footage is part of a guitar center TV ad, which is playing in the store. Present-day Matthews, now in his early 40s, is passed out inside that guitar center. And the manager, Beth Stumpson, getting on his case for sleeping in the store and recording demos there. She asks him to go to work in the acoustic guitar room, and he reluctantly obliges. Nick, what did you think of Reunion Tour? I think this was another uh, funny, short, punchy kind of teaser. Um, yeah, I, I liked it. I think it's a cool concept, this idea of someone who was once a rock god now working at a guitar center. Um, <laughs> if, if it was up to me, I would perhaps even heighten it by lowering his status even more and maybe not making him the brand ambassador, but just a regular old employee. But perhaps they're, you know, they're taking that somewhere in the, the script that we don't know yet as well. I also liked a lot of that contrast between the archival footage and where he is now. So I, I would definitely agree that you could theoretically 
actually emphasize that chasm between the two timelines. For sure. And it was interesting. There are a lot of similarities between this teaser and the previous one, this kind of like voiceover of the characters talking, and then this contrast of ages being introduced to them at a different age than what they're going to be most of the time. But I thought that this one uh, handled it with good formatting. I think that basically they introduced the characters as, for example, Matthews 21 or whatever in the archival footage. And then as they come out of that, it's like present day Matthews now 40s. And I think that that's a good way to handle that. It is. I mean, I did have one minor bump just in the sense that I got slightly confused who Matthews was talking to at the top. And then I realized, oh, wait, it's a voiceover emanating from the TV, not voiceover as in, you know, from a, a third person. It was sort of like an omniscient perspective with present day Matthews uh, listening to that advertising. Obviously, the reveal is at the end of the scene, but I think it, just making it slightly clearer in the prose would be helpful. Maybe, you know, Beth reacting to the TV or something very minor. Yeah, I agree with that. It's hard to tell whether it was just sort of an outside of the world voiceover or if it was just, you know, maybe just say the voiceover is coming from the TV or something like that. I think it make it clearer. That does exist in the script currently where in the description of the final line, it says Matthews in parentheses on TV. But that's, again, something you can highlight in the prose itself. Yeah, and just put it up top for sure. I did think that this teaser came in almost a little short, just in terms of it was only about two pages, and obviously that's fine if, if that's what you want, but I think that you had the ability to maybe live in this world for another half a page to a page and get the maximum amount of comedy out of it and really milk that situation. You do have the opportunity to have more of a situation at Guitar Center, since the opening does a good job setting up that band, and then you have that turn where he's the 40-year-old, you know, sort of failed version of himself working at the store, but potential I wanted more of that story after that, once you get that turn. Obviously, that's the rest of the episode, but you can still seed elements of that within that teaser. But what makes us want to read on versus not? Yeah, I agree with what you were just saying then, which is I kind of wanted a more clear, dramatic question. Where is this all going? You know, what is the audience meant to be wondering after this teaser and, and wanting to know what's going to happen? I mean, the script is called Reunion Tour, so obviously it has something to do with the band getting back together and having a reunion. So maybe there was something more of that that needed to be seated in or just some other question to keep us wanting to plow in and see what's going to happen with Matthews and his world. Yeah, I'll echo all those sentiments. Uh, it's a good setup for the character. I don't know yet if it's a good setup for the story itself. Uh, so I think there, there's a little bit missing there, but I, I do like the concept. Yeah, I agree. I think if you take that extra half a page to a page, you can get that in there as well as exploring the comedy of that situation, and it'll be a really solid teaser. And on that note, if you would like to send in your own teasers, you can do that for free at paperteam.co slash teaser. And the July Paper Tease winners will be announced in our PT98 episode, so tune in for that. All right, let's get on with the show. So this episode is kind of a spiritual successor to our episode PT20, The Art of the TV episode, and PT42, TV Viewing Habits, Writing for the Binge. So those episodes mostly cover the differences between episodic and serialized TV from more of an outsider perspective, looking at the impact of binge watching on our culture and the format and how stories were changing, whereas this episode is going to be more of an overview of the specifics of the craft and production side itself. And to start things off, we're going to be taking a look at the character side of things. What are the pros and cons of writing characters in an episodic versus serialized format? And the first pro on the serialized format we're going to talk about is this idea of 
uh, achieving more fulfilling, developed character arcs through the serialized storytelling. And traditional episodic stories have to be self-contained and are focused on the development of the case within that episode over characters. Even something like Six Feet Under I would consider episodic based on its death of the week format. It leaned heavily on a serialized element to tell its character's journey through life. And if you were to watch a random episode of Six Feet Under, it could be understandable on a basic case format, but it would be fairly unfulfilling if you do not have any prior context of what has happened to these characters. That's why, for example, the series finale of Six Feet Under was such a powerful moment of TV. We have been living and breathing with this family for half a decade. CBS procedurals like CSI are still all about the case of the week above characters, specifically because they know that their target audience doesn't really care about the character development. They're people tuning in while doing their dishes and most likely are half paying attention to that content. Uh, that's not an indictment on the product itself, just a reminder that knowing who you are writing for can help you focus on what your show should really care about. Now, that said, the format of episodic TV has really evolved over the past few years, and even network shows today offer more complex character arcs. In my mind, that's in response to the appetite cable shows have given to audiences for complex characters. Uh, that's one of the things I love about The Good Wife. Yes, it is this sort of classic case of the week uh, show, but it still offers layered and evolving character relationships throughout the seasons. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head there with that kind of leeway that serialization gives for characters. You know, that room that you have to explore with characters is such a boon that even comedies, which have for most of history been highly episodic, have more recently started to pick up this mantle as well. So, you know, Bojack Horseman, I think, is one of the first animated sitcoms to actually see its lead character change and grow from season to season and, you know, truly attempt to work on his flaws rather than just making them the, the beat of the joke every single episode. In a way, he's kind of the antithesis of a sitcom character, and that's highlighted within the show by his former career as a sitcom character actor and all of these kind of wounds and scars that it left him with. And The Good Place is perhaps one of the first network comedies to go almost fully serialized in its plot and character arcs. And honestly, it's kind of a revelation. It's been widely lauded by the public and the critics alike. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about the, those two examples that you just mentioned is that a lot of people would consider the narrative front of those shows to be almost dramatic. Uh, the Good Place is known to have picked uh, some bad robot drama people for its construction, and Bojack Horseman was pitched as a drama disguised as a comedy. So I think that's an interesting move and change of pace for comedies. Yeah, I think one of the key things here is that it actually allows comedic characters to explore the consequences for their actions. In uh, traditional sitcom, it's just a hard reset every episode and nothing has changed. The house, if it was burnt down, is back up again. You know, if someone broke their arm, they're healed again. But they actually have to sit and explore those elements in these, this new form of uh, serialized comedies. And, and that allows a lot of room for both drama and for humor in a different manner. So those are some of the great things about uh, serialization for characters. But what are some of the perhaps cons of that? Well, while it may seem serialized stories are kind of the perfect vessel for telling those complex character arcs, there's definitely a con to that format on a character level. And in fact, any writer on a serialized show can tell you how difficult it can be to properly service every character within that serialized narrative. Uh, a traditional episodic show like your usual NCIS, while still having some level of maybe uh, minute character development, doesn't necessarily have to deliver a unique arc to every single one of its cast members. Whereas a serialized show 
show usually does. And this can be a huge problem once you get deep into the woods of plots and the story, and then you realize, oh wait, a specific character hasn't really been seen or heard from in a while. And then you're stuck in the position of either having to shoehorn them into the plot or have to re-break that story to fit them properly. Right. It's not really a creatively a strong thing to have to run down a list and be like, okay, did we fit this person in? Did we fit that person in? It's not going to create the best stories for you. Most of the time it happens on accident, right? You're so, like I said, into the woods of the plot and the story, and you're really compelled by this whole character's journey through I don't know, Baltimore. And then you realize, oh, wait, we haven't seen this character from New York City in a while. And so that's a really tricky thing to balance in an ensemble show. And in fact, to that point, you can compare the first season to the second season of this show called Heroes on NBC to see that problem at play. Season one had this very cohesive, serialized story that ultimately brought all these ensemble characters into one central conflict while season two had these disparate stories that seemed to not coalesce into a whole at the end of the day. And one solution serialized shows have found to solve that problem is to do more centric episodes that only tell the story of one or two characters, uh, Lost or the second season of Leftovers are examples of that. Yeah, and I think another little catch-22 that this uh, serialized characterization puts writers in is that eventually these character arcs do have to end, and in a way that limits the longevity of the series. You can't really keep Breaking Bad going after Walter White finishes his descent into uh, evil. You know, uh, the completion of that protagonist character arc usually signals the end of the, the plot arcs as well. And what you don't want is for it to feel like a soap opera where a character finishes some huge arc and the next week they're thrust into a wildly different one that feels inconsistent and kind of untruthful to the character and the premise. Whereas episodic TV doesn't have this problem as its characters don't tend to arc or change. They can keep going exactly the same for 20 seasons if need be. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to see in the examples you're giving here again that some of these shows are very character-based in their premise. So Breaking Bad is all about Walter White, but then you have the spinoff, Better Call Saul, that's all about Saul Goodman. It's not really about the format or uh, the formula of the show as much as it is about the character's journey throughout those episodes. Right. It's not a spinoff to some other random character who also becomes a meth cook. <laughs> uh, it's more about the characters that we cared about than the actual nuances of the plot. So you're saying we're never going to have two Breaking Too Bad with Vin Diesel? <laughs> Why not? Now, moving on to the episodic side of things, uh, what are some pros of episodic regarding characters? Yeah, I think that characters in episodic TV are often instantly familiar and understood to the audience. There is almost an implicit understanding of these character archetypes and the situations they're in. You know, two partners in a police precinct solving a crime or a dysfunctional family in the American Midwest. There is almost this intrinsic relatability to these characters as well. We all know what it's like to have a father or siblings or a best friend or a co-worker. You know, for example, we may not know what it's like to be an intergalactic bounty hunter in a universe where silicon-based life evolved first in some serialized sci-fi show. Yeah, speak for yourself. Now. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say that it's easier or less work for episodic TV writers as far as characters go, but it does make things simpler, and simplicity often leads to better, stronger story. It's that uh, Occam's razor kind of idea. And this kind of evergreen nature of the characters also, I think, contributes to the longevity of the show. They can span generations. Kids and parents can kind of relate to these same characters in the same way. They become almost cultural icons and touchstones, for example, you know, The Simpsons or Seinfeld, everyone knows those characters inside and out, even if they've perhaps
perhaps never seen the show, you know what Homer Simpson is and what he's like. So it just gives you these strong character archetypes you can play off of to lead into these really great farcical heightened situations each week. It's interesting to look at much in the same way that serialized stories are a better vessel for more complex character arcs. Episodic format allow a simpler canvas for the audience to project itself on. That's what TV really is about and the key distinction with film. Obviously, TV is a character's medium. And when people turn on their TV to watch a TV show like The Simpsons, they invite that cast of characters back into their lives on a regular basis. That's specifically why you have those cultural icons and those cast of characters that become those cultural touchstones. It isn't only because of character complexity and intellectual interest, but also emotional attachment. Uh, So if you love TV and you grew up watching TV, there's a high chance one of those shows focuses on the family of characters going through weekly adventures and adversities together. That's what Third Rock from the Sun is, and that's even what 30 Rock is, both of those NBC shows. Absolutely. All of the rocks and the threes. Yes. Is that the big universe? Uh, Yeah, the shared universe. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so what about some cons? Okay, so for me, the cons of the episodic format for characters is that these characters can often lack the depth of the characters in serialized shows who are allowed to grow and change in that meaningful way. These episodic characters can fall into stereotypes instead of archetypes and feel kind of old hat. You know, how many times have we seen the nagging wife and the idiot husband in a sitcom? If there's no new angle on these characters or reason to actually like them, it can be difficult for the audiences to engage, which is often why, say, multi-cam sitcoms will build their cast around a well-known and liked comic because there's already an audience who's invested in that comic's personality and they know that they're going to enjoy their humor and their antics. So some of that character building work has already been done for them. And that brings us back to something I said earlier in the sense of if you do have those limited character developments or arcs, there's only so much emotional investment you can get out of the same repetitive character beats. Friends was able to actually circumvent that by actually offering legitimate character and story development despite repetitive situations. Uh, Phoebe having her brother's triplets or Chandler and Monica getting married or Ross and Rachel doing their whole shtick all over again. Now, if you compare it to something like Big Bang Theory, I've actually seen, believe it or not, over eight seasons of the show. And even I had to give up on the show somehow after that because of the lack of commitment to character change. It it took them a decade before cementing uh, two of the characters' relationships, whereas uh, Friends, at least, it took only a couple of seasons. So I think if you balance it out, that's an interesting and dynamic at play. Right. There's absolutely the potential for those characters to get stale. And another thing is that if a show runs for long enough, you know, the characters can do this thing called flanderization. You know, characters that were once original and fresh become stereotypes and parodies of themselves if they fail to change. So it's actually named for Ned Flanders, uh, who went from being in the early seasons of The Simpsons, this good neighbor and religious man, pretty normal dude, to this fanatical zealot and do-gooder that he is in the later seasons. So especially as, you know, new waves of writers come into these legacy shows that have been running for 20, 30 years, it's essentially like these people are writing fan fiction of the original show, and it just doesn't feel truthful to the original characters. Yeah, it's interesting to look at it that way, where, you know, after... 10 seasons of a show, it's essentially a copy of a copy of a copy of copy. It's not really the original uh, intent of what the first season was about. Absolutely. And I think you can see some of these highlighted in a couple of uh, episodic comedies that didn't perform very well. One of these was Disjointed. It was another Chuck Lorre show that was on Netflix. And it was kind of like this. Kathy Bates was the owner of this like weed shop. And she had this little cast of characters around her family and the employees of the weed shop. 
And it was just, it felt so fake and forced, like it was trying too hard to be relevant. And it was just kind of a flimsy premise because like, oh, weed is in the, the cultural milieu. It's, it's in the zeitgeist. Let's make a show about it. And none of it really felt truthful or relatable to people who were even a part of that subculture. So Chuck Lorre, back to the uh, new uh, enemy of the podcast now. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were racking up that list. And another one, even though it did go for like four seasons, the Cleveland show just kind of felt like a... a trying to spin off of, you know, American Dad and Family Guy, which are two shows that are already kind of similar to each other in, in the way that they work. And so it's just kind of a flimsy premise. And, and these characters, like no one was like, oh my God, I love Cleveland Brown so much out of this cast of characters, I need to see him in his own show. So I think sometimes people just try to force that too hard and you end up with these, these kind of thin characters and thin premises, and they're just kind of hoping something sticks. But it's not going to allow you to have a strong engine every week for an episodic TV show um, because the characters aren't there and the situation isn't there, which is everything for those shows. All right, so we took a look at characters across episodic and serialized TV. Now let's take a deeper dive into the story and the plot and how those are done differently across episodic and serialized. So what are some of the pros for a story in episodic television? Well, one of the important things that episodic shows can offer, and one of the biggest pros in my mind, is that they can be more relevant to today's headlines. By and large, serialized narratives work with big themes and big stories. That means it will be harder to get that ripped from the headline season of American Crime Story. That's why they go back to the 90s every season. Episodic shows have a lot more opportunities to be very relevant, not just to the current world, but today's world. Law and Order is famous for doing episodes off current news affairs. The Good Fight in the second season that ended only a few weeks ago even did an episode on the whole Aziz Ansari sexual misconduct story, which broke only a few months ago. And the Murphy Brown sequel coming to CBS this fall hasn't even written its pilot episode because it wants to be extremely current to whatever news is happening at that time. Now, that said, if the story isn't compelling in of itself, the episode may get dated real fast. I've actually been rewatching the first season of Murphy Brown, and although it is still funny at times, a lot of the humor is predicated on that context you could only understand when those episodes aired. Right. It's sort of a catch-22. You want to be timely and relevant, but that may take away some of the evergreen element of those stories as well. So episodic stories have a greater sense of resolution and satisfaction at the end of the episode, You know, knowing that everything is kind of wrapped up neatly. It's been set up and paid off. You can have a big set piece or climax at the end of every episode without worrying about having to build to that across multiple episodes or save it for the next one. Yeah, it's interesting to also look at the most popular or lauded episodes of episodic shows, and often those are the ones who break that formula. And the one that people use to introduce other people who may not be familiar with the show to that show. So for example, Hush on Buffy uh, is one of the classic examples of that, but that's not really representative on the macro level of what the show is about. For CSI, there was this whole Quentin Tarantino directed episode that was a finale, but again, not really representative of the rest of the show. So it's mm -hmm. interesting to see that dynamic of, yes, you can tell uh, self-contained episodic narratives, but it may be off the rails. Even within those more serialized shows, you can have a standalone episodic story that stands the test of time. Another cool thing I think about these episodic stories is that they allow, in a way, for themes and values to be communicated in a more strong and direct manner by that episodic conclusion, rather than needing to go for an entire season arc to make some sort of point. 
A good example of this are shows like Star Trek The Next Generation or The West Wing. You know, like you said, they've got that ability to stay topical and relevant and tell these strong, close-ended stories with some sort of point or theme every week. Yeah, TNG did offer relevant self-contained stories, although uh, I would still consider it less topical than an average procedural just based on the fact that it's a science fiction show. Uh, that said, I do agree with what you're saying about the unique way it can communicate themes in this very direct and concise manner. What I also appreciate about this episodic shows and something I'll go more into in the minute is this potential diversity of stories. Uh, serialized shows are by and large constrained to their main characters and mystery, but episodic shows can offer almost a mini-movie version of what they want to say. I mentioned Hush for Buffy, but TNG also had those iconic self-contained episodes that could be consumed in of themselves. Right, it's like a higher-brow version of a fairy tale or a fable. It's a self-contained thing that people can take away and watch and, and take something away from the meaning of that. That's why The Inner Light is one of the most successful Star Trek episodes of all time. All right, what are some of the cons of episodic storytelling for plot and structure? Well, in my mind, the biggest con of episodic storytelling is the need to keep it fresh and not repetitive. Having to produce between 10 and 20 unique cases can be a burden on a writer's room, especially after years of production. There are people on some TV staff that have to keep an ongoing tally of all the stories that they've already told and all the stories that they're not allowed to write for. Uh, do we have too many cases about baseball or do we have enough medical moments involving our surgeons? Ultimately, the cases have to tie back to what the characters are going through in that episode and using cases of the week without retreading the same character beats is a challenge in of itself. Yeah, absolutely. I think in comedy, too, there is this issue of repetitiveness. And, and perhaps I'd argue it's hit even harder by this than procedural dramas, because solving a serial killer murder for the hundredth time can still be compelling. But the 20th time that Homer gets a zany new job or his and Marge's marriage is on the rocks, it kind of ceases to be funny. And that's the currency that comedy trades in. You know, humor relies on originality and surprise. So, you know, one of the key reasons The Simpsons is considered to have been in decline since season, you know, 10 to 15, depending on who you ask, is that they've doubled and tripled up on these stories that they've already done and these characters that they've already spotlighted, to the extent that sometimes they've had to retcon or create vastly inconsistent backstories or mythology to make it work. For example, there are two or three different episodes about <laughs> Homer's college experience. You know what they should do? They should send Homer to space. They've never done that, have they? <laughs> oh, no, never. That potentially repetitive formula can also be a positive in disguise. There's this opportunity on larger season orders to get more creative and think outside the box. Farscape and Stargate are great examples of a semi-episodic shows, at least in their initial seasons, which were able to come up with interesting and unique episodic moments that played on viewers' expectations. You can also look at other genre classics, like we said Buffy and X-Files, which only had a handful of mythology episodes a season, yet were able to capitalize on that format and deliver beautiful, compelling episodes that could live without any prior context. And this can play directly to your own writing if you're working on, let's say, a spec of an existing show. You can lean into the formula of the episodic show and twist it to your own advantage. Even working within a specific box, there's a certain level of freedom that can be found since everything is fair game within that box. Yeah, so when these episodic stories kind of fail to work, it feels hackneyed, like, you know, a tired format that's really offering nothing new. They're lacking some sort of original take or message. Perhaps they're derivative of something we've seen so many times before, or they're trying to be hip and relevant, but uh, kind of missing the mark. You know, for example, no offense to those involved, but perhaps the show like CSI Cyber felt like a kind of an attempt to be hip and, and cool with the cyber crimes and things like that, but it just wasn't anything new more more so than 
your regular CSI or things like that. Enhance the hacking. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to more serialized things. Uh, what are some pros of serialized storytelling? There's obviously been this huge swing towards serialized storytelling in recent years, and it's easy to understand why. Uh, it allows the viewer to get more heavily invested in the series and the characters and needing to know what happens next week or next season. You know, the structure naturally kind of keeps viewers hooked with these cliffhangers and these unsolved plot threads and mysteries that keep the audience retention high from week to week, you know, or compel a viewer to binge through the entire series quickly. Of all formats, I think it allows a story to be told over the longest amount of time, more than a movie more than anything else, which means that, you know, these stories can unfold in a, in a novelistic manner and set up and pay off things over a number of seasons with a level of complexity and detail that no other format for storytelling can really offer. Right. Serialized shows do offer that emotional and intellectual payoff, which is honestly something most writers probably aspire to do and probably are most esoteric positive of this episode. A fully episodic narrative just will not have the same amount of real estate to platform a complex story or character's journey if half of that screen time is dedicated to a one-and-done case of the week. Now, if you compare that to shows like The Wire, American Vandal, and even 24, they can slowly build interesting reveals with that cathartic end specifically because the entire show is predicated on that story. And when a serialized show works on every cylinder, even its B or C plot are intrinsically linked to the A story. They are all part of the same chain. Absolutely. And, you know, it's had its ups and downs, but Game of Thrones, I think you can really say, uses its uh, serialized format across multiple seasons to its advantage. You have these character arcs, these story arcs that build tension, and they're able to kind of put a lot of that complex mythology and handle a large number of characters and storylines and, and set them up and pay them off in a really interesting way. And I think a lot of that stems from great world building. Uh, I'm actually curious to see what the different spinoffs and prequels are going to be about, because there's such a tapestry, and not just of characters but environments and, and history, truly, for that world. Absolutely, and I think it's going to be the kind of thing that people can come in with very little knowledge of Game of Thrones and enjoy those spinoffs because it is in a different time period or a different whatever, and you'll still have that same great world building, but then it's going to pay off on an even deeper level, you know, not just from season to season of one show, but now we're talking about multiple shows. If you have watched all of Game of Thrones and you come in and you watch one of these prequel series, you're going to be getting things and, and feeling a sense of satisfaction that no one else can because you're like, oh my god, it's this is this is what happened to the Targaryens and this is this mm -hmm. thing. So um, it's really fascinating that you can expand that serialization, not just to within a show, but to across multiple shows and worlds and across an entire franchise. We had the three rock universe, and now we're going to have the Game of Thrones universe, even better. <laughs> so what are some of the cons of serialized plotting and structuring? Well, in my mind, the biggest, biggest con of serialized storytelling is that since every episode is reliant on a clear through line or mystery or arc that propels the narrative forward, that means that when the room is writing the show, changing one key piece has a domino effect on all the previous episodes and future episodes. So let's say you're breaking the last episode of your serialized crime drama. And this is the climactic episode when the protagonist finally uncovers the mystery of who murdered her adoptive dad. Throughout the dozen of prior episodes, you've been seeding clues and hints as to who the real murderer is. Maybe some of those are red herrings. Maybe you've eliminated a few suspects across the episodes, but you've never really landed on a clear-cut answer 
in the room. This is now the time to do that. And the writer's room, comprised of awesome creative people, come up with a twist. The dad wasn't murdered. He faked his own death. It sounds crazy and convoluted, but somehow it totally makes sense in the episode. But now, this answer directly contradicts some clues you platformed in earlier moments of the season. And since you obviously care about your show and you want all of it to make sense, then you need to create this punch list of all the different changes you need to retroactively fit within those episodes and scripts. Hopefully you're not already in production and you can just tweak some drafts and outlines, but either way, it's a ton of work. Right, absolutely. I think if you don't do a good job of keeping the viewer or the reader invested, then it's very easy to lose them in serialized storytelling. If the story is complex or confusing, people don't really want to have to go back and rewatch episodes to understand what happened so that they can go on and watch the next one. You know, I think sometimes rather than telling the best story per episode, with serialization, you might end up with some kind of like filler stories as you're working your way towards certain tentpole moments that you know are going to happen later in the season. And some serialized shows can be too much of a slow burn for people, the action and the pacing unfolding too slowly because it's building to some particular moment and it wants to take its time to get there. You know, it, sometimes it might take four or five episodes for people to actually get hooked on a show and even get a true sense of what the show is about because, you know, creators do have that luxury these days with streaming and that kind of thing, but it's not everyone's cup of tea and it does throw a lot of people off. A lot of that stems from studio network mandates. Uh, some of the Marvel shows had to do 13 episodes and you can see the difference in those seasons that are more 10 or 8 episodes long based on how many episodes they're trending water for. And great narrative and scripted and serialized storytelling is tied to its efficiency in those scripts. So if you have eight episodes to tell a narrative and then you're told, oh wait, you're going to have to write two or three more episodes, you're going to have a problem stalling that story for that amount of time. I think another con that um, serialized storytelling can lead to is often a weak pilot episode. And I think that this is relatively common in both professional television and especially in just sort of aspiring writers' original pilots that they're turning out as specs and samples for what they would imagine would be a serialized TV show. You know, you have this hour of television or 60 pages of script that ultimately just ends up setting up the world and the characters and the situation. And there's really no notable action or plot that happens until maybe the final act, you know, they're trying to hook viewers in with, oh, what's going to happen next episode? But, you know, some viewers may be willing to sit through this, especially for those slow burn serialized shows on streaming services, but keeping in mind that they were probably sold to them on a full season pitch or multiple scripts backed by top tier talent. But, you know, for those aspiring writers, I think it gives them the wrong idea that they can do this and churn out these weak premise pilots that will ultimately get your script kind of thrown in the trash as a sample. Yeah, and this is perhaps why writing a more episodic or formulaic pilot episode uh, as a spec can help over something serialized. I mean, yes, serialized shows probably have a cooler logline or premise, but if you cannot justify that premise within those first few pages, you're going to have a bad time. You can watch the pilot from the serialized shows that premiered after Lost exploded in the mid to late 2000s to really see that example of pilot episodes for serialized shows that don't really capitalize on their premise. They front load questions and mystery over any sense of character or plot development. So it comes down to something I keep hitting at on this podcast, which is that your pilot needs to still be a compelling and entertaining hour of television in of itself. It cannot just really on future unproduced imaginary twists. 
Absolutely. And I think if you look at a couple of examples that are out there in shows, for example, some of the later seasons of The Walking Dead, it feels like they're stretching the plot out or it gets a little repetitive. Every season, here's a new situation and we run into a new group of bad guys and it just kind of feels over and over again. Or another show like Unreal had an incredible first season and then the second season just kind of fell apart because it was almost unable to sustain that original premise and was hitting the same kind of beats and just trying too hard to do something new and flashy and it didn't feel like the show. As a counterexample to The Walking Dead, I actually recommend watching the USA Network show Colony, which is about a family trying to survive in a world colonized by aliens. And although it could have ran into the same tropes and repetitive situations as The Walking Dead has, it remains fresh specifically because of its ability to burn through story. The first season, and this is a big spoiler, but the first couple of seasons are set in LA, and then at the end of the second season, they move outside the city and venture into the rest of the world. And so it allows a new dynamic in the show and brings more forward momentum to the characters. With an example from the comedy world, again, even shows that have incredible first, second, third seasons can venture off into this territory where they get caught up in this, you know, the, the lure of serialization and they end up having, you know, unnecessarily complex and confusing stories and arcs. They're trying to do this whole pulp fiction thing with intersecting storylines that just aren't paying off enough for the amount of work that's been put in to set them up. You know, look at Arrested Development season four for something that didn't really hit for a lot of people. If you actually watch the remix, I don't know if you've seen it, Nick, but uh, uh, I saw it a few weeks ago to prep for the fifth season, it's much closer to that first, second and third season format. Uh, and I think that that was probably to help with that confusion on a narrative level. And one last con about serialized shows is that sometimes they over-rely on this complicated story. Uh, something like Scandal evolved into a heavily serialized story after its first season. And as much as I loved the second season, I can't help but remember some of the problematic episodes in the latter half of the entire show, uh, in seasons four, five, and so on, as it became a convoluted, complicated, entangled conspiracy show. Nobody could make heads or tails of that mystery. And so when writing long-running serialized shows, it can be very difficult to get your head above water and really grasp the big picture that you're currently painting. Uh, after all, you start writing under tight deadlines. And I know people on those shows who mentioned to me that producers would have to remind the room their show was not meant to be a convoluted mess. It was meant to be watched by middle-aged housewives folding laundry. Uh, in other words, you have to simplify your story. And that's the whole truth for pretty much any show on TV. For better or for worse, the vast majority of people are not tuning into shows giving them 100% of their full attention. Attention, so keep that in mind. So we've looked at character and stories for both episodic and serialized shows, but let's look at how we can find a middle ground uh, between serialization and standalone elements, uh, basically semi-serialized. Obviously, a large number of shows these days don't fall neatly into one camp or the other. It's not all serialization. It's not all episodic. I think it's rare now to even find a, a Dick Wolf police procedural that doesn't have at least a minor story arc about a character's backstory or home life going on there. So, but I think uh, some shows do walk a true middle path between the two and employ the best of both worlds in terms of the serialized plot and character arcs uh, combined with a satisfying self-contained episodic story each week. 
Now, this might not be the most intuitive example, but American Gods was a pretty dense and complex show and obviously book that it was drawing from. But even while exploring those overarching questions of what Mr. Wednesday's mission is, why he needs Shadow Moon to help him, all that kind of thing, there was an episodic element in that show with each new god that they met along the way. You had uh, Peter Stormare as uh, Cernobog and the Zariah sisters. You had Corbin Benson as Vulcan. You had Kristen Chenoweth as uh, Easter. All of these fun little episodic guest characters and things that were resolved within that. Wednesday and Shadow Moon did have a self-contained goal in each episode to either recruit these gods or get what they needed from them, while at the same time still building on and expanding that larger plot and character questions and having the antagonists and the villains coming in to kind of get them. Even episode four, Get Gone, while essentially a detailed flashback of one character's backstory up to this moment, which sounds like it would be incredibly serialized on the face of it, actually felt like a self-contained unit of story, as it kind of asked and answered episodic dramatic questions. Spoilers here if you haven't seen it, but you know, how is Laura Moon still alive? How did she get here? What does she want now with Shadow Moon? There was even a little heist storyline in there. Yeah, this is something brought up in our past Paper Team episodes, which I guess serves the point that this podcast is both serialized and episodic. <laughs> but essentially, I do feel that the current trend in a lot of those shows is to offer both a serialized narrative while still keeping an episode episodic identity. Uh, the Leftovers is an example of that format, which I've given multiple times before, but even something more intricate like Counterpart, the Star Wars TV show, does have its episodic element at times. Uh, episode 7 of the show is one of my favorite hours of TV specifically because of its almost self-contained story. Uh, of course, you need to have watched prior episodes to really understand the implications of what is happening, but I would argue the story still works as its own narrative. I won't really spoil the story for those who haven't seen the show, but it's almost its own Black Mirror or Twilight Zone episode. And even Westworld pulls something similar to that Get Gone American Gods episode uh, with its episode 8 of season 2, uh, Kiksuya, which spent an entire hour telling the backstory of a tertiary character all using the Lakota language. Uh, another interesting way to kind of walk this middle ground between serialization and episodic is with anthology shows. They've kind of exploded in popularity in recent years. I think that they're a unique case where you can have completely standalone stories per episode down to you know the characters and the settings, for example, in Black Mirror or Twilight Zone, and they're only really connected by a theme. Um, for example, they might be exploring the horror of man's inhumanity to man or the dangers of technology. Or they can be a slightly different kind of anthology where there are full season-long story arcs, but ones that tell a deliberately close-ended story that are going to come to fruition by the end of that season, like a 13-hour movie or a play. And then the next season will pick up with different characters, you know, even if they're played by the same actors sometimes, for, uh, in the case of Ryan Murphy's shows, American Horror Story, etc., and a, a different setting. Or it could even be the same setting at a different time. Yet they're still fundamentally exploring some sort of question or theme that connects them all. Yeah, and if you actually look at the differences in those kinds of anthology shows, I would argue that the Black Mirror, Twilight Zone kind of episodic anthology trends towards an episodic type narrative, whereas the seasonal anthologies like American Crime Story or even True Detective is closer to a serialized narrative because it's across multiple episodes. In fact, True Detective is really uh, that clear novelistic way of storytelling specifically because of its creator. So let's take a quick look at audiences and critical reception of episodic versus serialized TV. Now, we have touched on this in much greater detail in PT-20 and PT-42, but just as a quick reminder, let's take a look at it again. 
Yeah, so in terms of episodic TV, it's almost like each episode is a short film that someone could view with zero context, which allows an easier jumping on point for new viewers to come into a show and attract more eyeballs. It also means they can be watched in any order, which is useful for network syndication, or if you're at a friend's place and they're watching a show, you can share that experience. Yeah, I guess that's a way to get more people into a show. Now, for serialized TV, you run into some different issues. Like for live airing, if someone misses one episode, they can't just tune in next week and watch. They have to find a way to catch up, uh, which admittedly is easier these days, but it is still a barrier. You want to make it as easy as possible for people to consume your content. So it's possible as well for viewers to have big twists and reveals spoiled for them, especially with social media, particularly on these bingeable series that are released all at once, like Stranger Things. And audiences, I guess, can also get frustrated when a serialized story that they've been watching maybe takes too long to come back between seasons <coughs> game of thrones um and you know <laughs> maybe that puts a little pressure on production to be keep delivering these on a particular schedule now just briefly in terms of the perception of the prestige of episodic versus serialized stories I think that episodic TV often lacks this quote-unquote prestige that serialized shows do. Serialized TV is often seen as better or more intelligent or artful than episodic TV. Episodic TV is less likely to get uh, awards recognition and critical acclaim. And the irony being that sometimes it's the standalone episodic episode of a heavily serialized show, like you mentioned earlier, that uh, is a standout and gets nominated and talked about. If you look at all of the primetime Emmy nominations for writing last year, they were all very serialized dramas, Better Call Saul, The Americans, Stranger Things, Westworld, The Crown, Handmaid's Tale. Even the comedies weren't really traditional hard reset sitcoms. They were serialized or semi-serialized ones like Atlanta, Veep, Silicon Valley, Master of None. Although if you look at that one, again, it was that standalone Thanksgiving episode that got the Emmy nod. Yeah, I actually personally heavily dislike the term prestige TV. I find it pretty elitist and not representative of the actual quality of television shows, uh, especially when looking at those Emmy nominations. You have to keep in mind uh, that there's a certain old guard that only wants to see certain kinds of shows for that award. And I think the real breakdown comes down to not just the quality of the content, but also the target audience. It is interesting to see the evolution in the reception of uh, even episodic shows as they evolve towards more serialized stories. The Good Wife has been nominated for multiple Emmys, and it won five of them, and also got nominated and won some WG awards. So it's interesting to look at the evolution of the format. So taking a look at the craft side of episodic versus serialized, now let's take a look at the business side, production, all those kind of meta elements. So, so what other impact does the format, whether serialized or episodic, have outside of its narrative? Well, the first thing to look at is this idea of staff versus freelance. And freelance mandate differ depending on the show, but by and large, the Writers Guild of America requires series with at least 10 to 13 episodes order to give a couple of those episodes to freelance writers outside the writing staff. Usually they end up being given to assistants or in-house personnel. And the reason I'm bringing this element in the episodic versus serialized episode is because simply put, a freelance writer drafting a standalone episode will be easier to blend within the season than a serialized one. So practically, if you are giving out a serialized episode to someone outside that writing staff, they will be likely some heavy rewriting involved. So it's a lot more added work to the staff. Now, in terms of production, what are some of the pros of serialization? Let's look at this idea of cross-boarding and having written scripts further in advance and taking place within the same location can lead to easier cross-boarding of episodes. And that is when you shoot episodes out of order and essentially blend your production schedule to overlap the shooting. This can be a huge plus if, for example, you have a non-linear story that involves flashbacks with the same cast of characters 
peppered throughout the season, and yet each episode has a main present narrative with only a handful of those people. The schedule could be condensed in such a way that you could shoot all the season flashback first and release your actors as needed. On the other hand, if you were doing a more episodic show and later down the road you decide, oh wait, let's bring back this one character for a flashback episode, you will probably be bumping into scheduling issues. And even if you do get the actor for that episode, the continuity may not blend properly with how they were shot in prior episodes. Imagine Westworld having to shoot its non-linear story in the same linear order that you are watching it on the show instead of grouped by time and place. It'd be a production and continuity nightmare. In terms of the pros of episodic storytelling, episodic TV shows usually have limited sets with two or three familiar environments, uh, relatively few out on location shoots, so it ends up being much cheaper to actually shoot and produce these shows. For example, a multi-cam sitcom has two to three standing sets and a swing set that they can change out each week, all inside of a studio, so you don't have to build and strike their sets every single week for that extra expense or worry about moving the whole company to a location and getting the permits and hiring the extra crew and trying to make their hours because they only have the the location for so long. Even with drama procedurals, I worked on Criminal Minds and they owned this huge stage and basically had an entire studio lot to themselves with, you know, sometimes up to six or seven sets. You know, they got the office, the jet, the computer lab, all that kind of thing. And they would do one to two days out on location of a seven to eight day shoot and usually be early because they could just get all of their shots in the stage whenever they needed them at any time of the day or night. Uh, it was such a well-oiled machine. So, you know, there's a reason that procedurals and multicams are so popular with studios and networks and get so many seasons. They're very cheap to produce compared to these single cam serialized shows. Well, to that point, that directly leads into one of those cons of serialized production. And that is that those sets, that element of production does show its limits on large scale serialized shows. An episodic show, as just mentioned, will have its standing sets and there's serialized show can hold over those sets for a certain period of time, but usually the story will ask for more than just that one or two or three regular precinct locations. Uh, Going back to Westworld, although it does keep its standing locations as a through line, the show still does a ton of story outside that one small western town, and even from a production standpoint, it can afford to shoot both in California and Utah. Westworld has the budget to maintain that diversity of locations, but most serialized shows do not and therefore get constrained. That amazing cathartic set piece you want to do in the finale maybe has to be diminished or scrapped because of an expensive something else that you set up earlier. Right, and not just expense, but it's also going to take you much longer to shoot these kind of shows as well. Look at Game of Thrones, where they're shooting in multiple different countries all over the world. Like those seasons take a very long time to come together because of the fact that, you know, they have to shoot it cross boarded and, and take so much more time to piece everything together like that. And what are the cons of episodic storytelling for production? In the same way that as a writer, you have to keep generating ideas within the same repetitive formula, from a production standpoint, you will need to cast and bring in a new guest and sets of characters on a weekly basis. And this takes away from time we have with our leads, which can be a benefit to some of the actors who want to work less, but it can be a problem to constantly refresh the list of actors to play against those top dogs. Uh, it isn't a major con, it's obviously the point of having a casting department, but it is something that can lessen the impact of a specific episode or slow down production, much like the shooting schedule. 
All right, and before we go, just a reminder that Out Paper Tease competition is still open for submissions. So if you have a TV pilot teaser of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, you can enter that for free at paperteam.co slash teaser to potentially get feedback on air and win prizes. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Thanks to all of our listeners for taking the time to tune in and hang out with us for another week. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 95. And we'd love if you could take the time to leave us a review, which you can do at paperteam.co slash iTunes. And all of those reviews make us feel warm and fuzzy inside and help attract new listeners and build our Paper Team community. And our sponsor, Roadmap Writers, has launched their inaugural Jumpstart writing competition. It's open to both original TV pilots and feature scripts, and the competition presents 12 esteemed industry judges from top companies, including Circle of Confusion, Echo Lake Entertainment, Entertainment, Verve, Mosaic, and more. To learn more and view their incredible prize packages, visit RoadmapWriters.com and choose Jumpstart from their competitions tab. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And next week, we'll be welcoming Mike Albert and Gabe Snyder, who are the creators and shorners of Kirby Buckets, to discuss what it is like to run and write for a live-action children TV show. I'll certainly be uh, tuning in. Yes, it's very interesting to you, isn't it? (laughs) All right, we'll catch you guys next week. See you then.